Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Second Timothy chapter 2. Up until this point in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and the first, ver- first 13 verses of chapter 2, talk about <clears throat> suffering and remaining strong and true as a soldier, as a, an athlete, a farmer, a teacher, to stay with it. And now there's a break, not a break, but a change of, of tone a little bit, a, a, Another emphasis, I should say, because Satan has more than one weapon in his arsenal, and that is false teaching. Verse 14 says, remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like gangrene or cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying the resurrection is already past. And they overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. I heard this as a funny story years ago, not knowing that it's actually the joke I heard was based on a true story. Well, you see, there was a famous baseball player back in the 1930s. His name was Hack Wilson. Hack Wilson was a great baseball player for several teams during the 1930s. He played 12 seasons in the major leagues. But he had a fondness for partying and the nightlife. And there were many surviving stories about his exploits. He loved to go to bars and drink, and it was not uncommon for him to drink and stay out all night, get two hours of sleep, and then show up for the afternoon ball game. Well, the manager of the Brooklyn Dodgers was Max Carey. He decided to call a team meeting for the purpose of convincing Wilson to stop drinking alcohol. When all the players were there, he decided to give an illustration of the dangers of drinking. He took two glasses, one filled with water, and the other filled with Wilson's favorite drink, gin. Then Kerry took two worms, dropped them into each glass. The worm in the glass of water wriggled happily and started swimming. The worm in the glass of gin immediately stiffened and died. All of the players watching the demonstration were impressed, except Hack Wilson. He didn't even seem to be interested. So finally, the manager said to him, do you follow my reasoning, Wilson? Sure do, Skipper. If you drink gin, you won't get worms. (laughs) And by the way, he did die at the age of 48 because of alcohol. 
You see, it doesn't matter for some people how good an illustration is or how brilliant the teaching or warning is. They're going to go anyway. They're not going to apply it to their lives. When it comes to the Word of God, folks, let me tell you something. Whether you believe it or not, it's still God's Word, and you better learn to apply it correctly or you're going to pay for it eternally. The greatest need for every human being, obviously, is salvation through Jesus Christ. It doesn't come through the church. It comes through Jesus Christ. And, and if you interpret God's word wrong, and when we learn about Jesus and everything we know about God and salvation, it comes through God's word. And if you interpret it wrong, it can have eternal consequences. In other words, it's our job as a preacher and a teacher of God's word to teach you the truth of God's word and study it carefully because if it's mishandled, one of the greatest fears I have, if it's mishandled, then it leads other people astray. And it's an awesome responsibility to think that if you don't interpret God's word correctly, then you can ruin people's lives for eternity. So Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, you've you got to stay strong as a soldier. You, you're going to endure some suffering, but, but you also have to stay true to the truth, the truth of God's word. And that requires several things that Paul mentions. First of all, it requires abstaining from unprofitable arguments. There's three warnings here in this chapter alone. Verse 14, do not strive about words to no profit. Verse 16, shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. We're not going to make it to verse 23 today, but verse 23 says, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. In other words, there are a lot of arguments going on today in the name of religion that are completely worthless. In fact, Paul mentions a couple of things. He said, first of all, they are worthless and they are hollow to no profit. Don't get caught up in something that doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter for eternity. It's useless. It's hollow. A lot of time and heat and energy and temper have been wasted on word fighting. People have fought and fought over a word or an expression that's really their own opinion, and it doesn't accomplish anything. Maybe you've seen that happen in certain churches. Maybe you've seen it happen in other religions. But the fact is, don't get in an argument over something that doesn't matter. And it happens. I don't know who wrote this, but I agree with it. Never get in a spitting match with a skunk. Because <laughs> even if you win, you still smell bad. Some of the arguments today are worthless. People are going to hell all around us, and then people are arguing over some trivial matter. You know what? There are some variations of interpretation according to eschatology or the second coming of Christ. You may disagree with how I interpret the second coming, and I'm not going to argue with you about that. I know I'm right. I don't have to argue with you <laughs> about that. I'm just teasing. But, you know, 
Now, if you want to argue about doctrine, that's one thing. About salvation, there's only one way to be saved, and it doesn't come through man or the church. It comes through Jesus Christ by faith alone, grace alone. That's one thing. But to argue over other stuff like, you know, what version of the Bible you want to use and all of that stuff, come on. That's what Paul is saying. You ain't got time for that. You don't have time to you for useless babbling. It's worthless. It's hollow. And not only that, it's wounding and harmful. In fact, when he says in verse fourteen, to the ruin of the believe, to the ruin of the hearers, the word ruin there is used one other time. It is the word catastrophe. We get our word catastrophic or catastrophe from that. The other place it's used is in 2 Timothy. uh, 2 Timothy, I'll look it up here in a second. Lost my place, believe it or not. Ruin, yeah, 2 Timothy, excuse me, 2 Peter 2, 6, where it refers to the catastrophic destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. It ruins, it's catastrophic to the hearers. It can do damage to the hearers. Now, I'm going to use an example that will wake you up a little bit. The Bible states there is no God. Now, if you just woke up and heard, (laughs) what did he just say? No, it does. I'm I'm directly quoting Psalm 14.1. However, I have just taken a part of it because the rest of that verse says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And the rest of that verse says, they are corrupt, they do abominable deeds, and there is none who does good. A fool does not believe there's a God. As a result, he behaves grossly. Now, listen to this carefully. A text taken out of context is a pretext for a proof text. (laughs) A text taken out of context is a pretext for a proof text. The Bible is a life-changing book, but when it is used the wrong way, it can be dangerous. Small deviations from the truth can have a catastrophic consequence. Just like me reading part of Psalm 14, there is no God. Well, a lot of people will take just a phrase out of the Bible and they will use it and it wounds or it's catastrophic to the hearers. See, there are people today who will teach you that salvation is by works. They will take a couple of verses out of context and use it as a proof text. Is that catastrophic to somebody who's trying to earn their way to salvation? Absolutely. If you don't take the Word of God and let it interpret by the rest of the Word of God, you are taking it out of context. And Paul's saying, Timothy, don't get caught up in that because it ruins the hearers. Stay true to the truth also requires attention to utmost accuracy. Verse 15 King James says study. That's a good word. Be diligent, the new King James Version. Do your best. 
Spaldazo indicates a zealous persistence in accomplishing a goal. Put your all into it. Timothy, put everything you've got into two things. He said, first of all, to be approved by God. You'll notice that part? You seek the approval of God. You don't worry about what somebody else thinks. You worry about what God thinks. A lot of times church leaders are tempted to succumb to a certain group because they believe this way, even though they know it's a direct violation or a direct contradiction to God's word, but because the group goes that way, well, I'll just go along with it. He said, Timothy, there are always going to be people who have their opinions, and their opinions are strong. But if they are not in keeping with God's word, you study and you make diligent perseverance that you are approved by God first of all. And he'll take care of the rest. What does God think about what you're saying and what stance you take? And then he uses the word worker or workman. The word translated workman is that refers to working in order to make something or to bring something. And it, and listen to me, it emphasizes the strenuous nature of that job. It's hard. I want you to know it's hard work to teach God's Word. It takes hours to prepare. You've got to look at the words. How are they used in the rest of the Bible? How are they used in the New Testament, the Old Testament? And because you're working with other languages other than English, Sometimes you go to the original Greek or Hebrew text to see what the words mean in their original verbiage. You have to set the passage in the customs and the, the culture of that day when it was written to who it was written to, sometimes centuries before the first century. It's a lot of hard work. Why am I saying that? You would be amazed at some of the statements I've had made to me over the years. I had one man say, well, you know, if my job doesn't work out, I can always preach. <laughs> or people come by, this was back before I, when I was the only staff member of the church, they'd come by and, preacher, what are you doing? Studying. Oh, well, come on, I need you to do something with me. Like studying is not hard work. Y'all ever studied? You ever done a research paper? Yes? Didn't y'all like them? I hated them, and now I do them every week. <laughs> it's hard work. He said, Timothy, you need to be a workman who has no need to be ashamed. Listen, I want to tell you something. There are some guys who will stand up, and they'll just open the Bible, and just whatever comes off the top of their head, that's what they say. Now, I believe in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I have notes right here, but God's Spirit... Leads me to say other things from time to time, and God's Spirit also holds my tongue from time to time. But I take so seriously coming up here before you to teach you God's Word because I'm so afraid that I might mislead somebody down the road. Don't underestimate the work that your Sunday school teacher does to teach you a Sunday school lesson or your 
preachers or teachers or whoever's in your life. Timothy, he's saying, Timothy, you got to work. It doesn't come just by accident. By the way, we have an Awana program here for kids on Wednesday night where they're learning scripture. Do you know what Awana is an acrostic for? Approved workmen are not ashamed. Comes right out of this verse right here for Awana. The Greek word for rightly dividing only appears right here in the New Testament. It's the only time it's used. And it means to cut straight. I'm sure Paul used it. Paul was a tent maker. Paul probably used it because he had cut straight many fabrics to make a tent instead of it being wavy or curvy. And, and then and notice he says, you cut straight the word of truth. Cut straight the word of truth. Truth is always accurate. Truth is always objective. Truth is always knowable. Truth is not subjective. It is not fluid. In our culture, they say there is no absolute truth. And yet, there is. Our culture says, well, what's true for you may not be true for me. And we make up our own truth. That's not real truth. There is absolute truth. The truth is, if you jump off a cliff, you're going to hit the ground. That's absolute. I don't care what you believe. You can run, jump off the top of this building, believe you can fly. But the truth is, you're going to hit the pavement. If a carpenter showed up at your house to do some remodeling, or maybe they're going to build a house for you, he shows up, he's got no tools, no tape measure, no level, no plans. Well, what are you going to use? Well, you know, there are different ways to build a house. Who says your house has to be in plum or square? Well, you'd be concerned, wouldn't you? Well, God's word is God's word whether you believe it or not. And God's word is not something that say, well, some people believe it and some don't. It is true. Some believe it and some don't. But it's not something that is fluid. Every biblical text has a meaning, and it's true, and it never changes. Yeah, sometimes God spoke directly to Israel and that culture, and sometimes he spoke to another group of people. Yes, and the principles are there, but the fact is God's word isn't doesn't change. It's no, there's no variance. Otherwise, if we don't look at it and, and cut it straight, and, and interpretation and, and translating, you have to take a lot of factors involved. It takes a lot of things involved. Well, folks, I want to tell you something. The change that happened in your life is because of Jesus. How did you learn about Jesus? Right here, everything we know about God came from the Bible. The, the revelation of salvation comes from the Bible, comes through the Bible and the Holy Spirit using it to teach us. Our lives are changed by God's truth. 
Some people say, well, you know, I, I translate God's word by how I feel. There's some verses I like, some verses I don't like. That's not how you interpret God's word. In fact, when you abandon, now listen carefully, I'm going to use some big words here. When you abandon biblical revelation for human speculation, you have removed the final court of authority. And then people begin to believe all kinds of issues because there's no common authority. That is the culture we live in today. When they say there's no absolute truth, then you can do anything you want. Paul says, listen, you worry about approval to God. You cut straight the word of truth. You work hard. You make sure it's accurate. And then on top of that, he says, first of all, don't get into unprofitable arguments. And he said, you, you avoid that. And then you, you uh, focus on accuracy of God's word. And then he said, you avoid ungodly apostates. He calls names. He said, just like gangrene or cancer, it spreads. Now, our culture is embracing a lot of ideologies that we know are not biblical, they're not godly, but what do you expect from lost people? You, you need to understand, lost people act like lost people. They're lost. Not only spiritually lost, but they're lost in their thinking. Why? All this gender identity and sexual stuff that's going on that everybody's confused about, well, that's what lost people do because they don't have a standard. They got no, no um, compass. But I'll tell you what gets me is the number of churches today that are advocating it. Now we've got an issue. And Paul says, listen, you avoid false teaching. False teaching, you think, it's not new to our generation. In fact, Paul states in verse 17 and 18, he says, among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have strayed from the truth saying that the resurrection is already past and they overthrow the faith of some. It's interesting, Hymenaeus is mentioned in 1 Timothy, where Paul said, by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Now, evidently, Philetus has taken Alexander's place as Hymenaeus' assistant. Paul taught that there is a spiritual resurrection. You do know that when you are saved... Let's go, back to the, let's go back to the garden. When man, and, when man sinned, his spirit died immediately. And progressively he died in his mind, emotions, and will, his soul, and eventually died in his body. When you ask God to forgive you your sin and you place your faith, your, your trust in Jesus Christ alone, because he died on the cross and rose again and paid the price for your sin, when you place your faith in Jesus Christ alone, God immerses you, baptizes you with, his, with the righteousness of Jesus. His spirit indwells you, and you are given life. Life. You're resurrected from the dead spiritually. Does that make sense? Could be that these guys were allegorizing that and making that say, well, see, the resurrection's already happened. 
But Paul goes on to say, you know, one of these days you're going to have a bodily resurrection. First Corinthians chapter 15, you've got to tear that chapter out if the resurrection's already happened because it talks about one day that the final act of salvation, you're given life, and then your mind, emotions, and will are conformed to the image of God and eventually, praise God, we'll get a new body to go with it and be in heaven. Well, he said these guys, in fact, you even see a, a hint of it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2, that the, over the faith was being shaken by those who said the resurrection had already happened, that the return of Jesus had already happened. Paul said, don't have anything to do with these people. How's that for a paraphrase? He said, shun it. Avoid it. Separate Folks, I want to tell you something. Doctrinal separation is a biblical term. Because if they're not teaching the truth of God's word, don't be part of it. And then he uses the word godless. They are godless, they're worldly, they're profane. Because this kind of teaching leads to more own ungodliness. When you tell somebody you can come to our church and never change, well, they're just going to stay in their sin. When you come to Jesus, he changes your life. In fact, he compares it to gangrene, infection. Gangrene destroys living tissue by infection. It obstructs the blood supply. Therefore, it obstructs the oxygen from getting to certain parts of the body. It cuts off life support. Faulty teachings just like that. It stops the growth. It stops the growth of a church. Paul said, you're to avoid this. And I want to tell you, we're up against a lot of heresy today. And I'll tell you, one of the heresies today, and I wouldn't hesitate to say it in front of them, is this prosperity gospel that's being taught. They're preaching a health and wealth gospel that is not the word of God. There are a lot of Christian self-help books that approach the Bible from the perspective on how to gain what you want in life instead of coming to God's Word and saying, God, what do you want in my life? And it's using the Bible for worldly success. Listen, Paul wrote in this first verse, in this first chapter, he said, I'm suffering because of the gospel. I could hardly wait for these health and wealth guys to meet Paul. A couple of things about false teachers, they're popular. It says they spread like gangrene. They're, they're popular. But we're told to steer clear of them, verse 16. Don't waste your time watching them on television. Don't waste your time reading their books. I like what Augustine wrote 1,500 years ago when he said, for to believe what you please and not to believe what you please is to believe yourselves and not the gospel. Paul said, I'm suffering for the gospel in verses 8 and 9. I'm not prospering for the gospel. He said, hardship endurance gospel, not a prosperity gospel. Our faithfulness does not give us great treasures on earth. It's laying treasures up in heaven. So you may not have it here on this earth. And then we're told, well, you know, God loves everybody, and he does. That's not, that's not a mistake. But we don't ever talk about the wrath of God and the just punishment that comes when you sin. Without Jesus, you are a sinner. You are condemned already. 
And Jesus came to save us from that. But now it's, oh, God loves everybody. There's no such thing as hell. There's no punishment. There's no wrath. Stay away from those people. Don't get in, don't get in profitless arguments, stupid arguments. Don't waste your time. Be careful to give attention to God's word. Cut it straight. Avoid misleading teachers. But then he also says in verse 19, to anchor yourself in assurance, unchanging assurance. Listen, I love the word nevertheless. In other words, Timothy, don't panic. This stuff's all around you, but don't panic. There may be heresy in the congregation. There may be dissension around you. You may have to do battle against it. There may be some difficult times. Nevertheless, God's firm foundation stands. It's like a coin with two sides, God's side and man's side. Paul reminds us that God's church, God's people, it's not going to be altered or shaken or diminished even by the heresies that rage around us. God's always going to have his word here. It stands forever. Do false teachers seem to abound? The Lord says, nevertheless. Are perilous times upon us? The Lord says, nevertheless. Do we fear for the future? The Lord says, nevertheless. Are we worried for our children's safety? The Lord says, nevertheless. Do we wonder how the church will survive? The Lord says, nevertheless. Do we see some falling away from the faith? The Lord says, nevertheless. Are we tempted to despair? The Lord says, nevertheless. Do evildoers rise to power? The Lord says, nevertheless. He says, the solid foundation stands firm because God's church, God's people rest on the solid rock, Jesus Christ, not sinking sand. Paul uses two quotations here out of Numbers chapter 16. Now, refresh your memory. They've just come out of Egypt. Moses is the leader. And there are three men, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, who show up telling the people, listen, why are you listening to Moses? He's no different than we are. We're men, we're men of understanding just like Moses. You can, you can follow us and listen to us was their implication. So when Mer Moses heard this, he fell on his face before God. The Lord knows those who are his. And then the Lord said, bring them here. Now, I'm, I'm loosely paraphrasing this, Okay. God says, bring them here. Let me give them an examination. So Korah and Dathan and Abiram and their families all stood together, and suddenly before their eyes, the earth opened up, swallowed them, and closed back up, and God said, any more questions? <laughs> that's not really what he said, but that's what he implied. <laughs> the first quotation, the Lord knows those who are his. Listen, you are God's recognized possession. In fact, the seal here signifies ownership. You are God's child. Yeah, you're surrounded by all kinds of stuff, but the Lord knows those who are his. 
Marvin Rosenthal, one of the writers of Israel is my glory, Israel my glory years ago, told about a mother who was asked by a census taker how many children she had. And she said, well, let me see. There's Billy and Harry and Martha. And, and the census taker said, never mind the names. Just give me the number. And she looked at him and said, they haven't got numbers. They've got names. You don't have a number. You've got a name. And God knows it. And Jesus even said in Matthew 10, 30, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. God knows you. He knows who you are. He knows you're his child. He won't ever let go of you. No matter how heretical things get around you, when you follow Jesus Christ and you follow God's word, God knows you. He, you're his recognized possession. He's, he's not going to say, now who, now who are you? No, he knows he knows your name. He knows everything about you. And the second quotation is, let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. It's also part of Moses' words in the same incident in Numbers 16, verse 26. He paraphrases that. Paul says, those who are genuine believers are not going to be characterized by sin. There's a life in Jesus that won't let you stay the same. Sometimes the struggles are difficult. Sometimes we get off track. But you don't hold on to God. He holds on to you. And one of the, one of the things is that when you come to Jesus, he changes your life. He, you head in a different direction. When Jesus met people in the New Testament and they followed him, they did not stay the same. And somebody who says, well, I'm a Christian, but never shows any indication, John said about them, they went out from us that it might be evident that they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. 1 John 2, 19. You and I are not the judge. We're not to sit around and say, well, you must not be a Christian or you wouldn't do that because all of us, let's just get it out here on the table, all of us are sinners. And all of us still struggle with it. I know that I've been saved, but my body doesn't know that all the time. It still struggles. My mind, I know I'm saved, but sometimes I think things I'm going, the Holy Spirit said, where'd that come from, Wilson? Both of these concepts were taught by Jesus. Matthew 7, 22 and Luke 13, 27 said the church consists of those who belong to God and that the church consists of those who will not continue to live in unbridled sin. You're not, life's not going to be characterized by it. In fact, 1 John tells us the proof of your salvation is the fact that you love God's word, you love God's people, and your life will not be characterized by continuous, habitual, unbridled sin. You're still struggling, but the Holy Spirit is leading you. Folks, let me tell you, staying true to the truth is going to become more and more difficult because in our culture, now when you, when you speak the truth, in fact, I've put it this way. The people who hate the truth look at truth as hate. Yeah. 
You're bigoted. You're biased. But that's not who we are. In fact, we're the few people that know the truth. And I say few, the Christians are people that know the truth. The lights come on. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and 3 talk about spiritual things are spiritually discerned. When you gave your life to Christ, you asked God to forgive you, invited Christ into your life, the Holy Spirit indwelt you, he turned the light on. Now you see the issues of life. Now you see, but 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says that the God of this age, the little g God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds of those lest the glorious gospel, the light of the glorious gospel should shine unto them. We use the term, I once was in darkness, but I've seen the light. I once was lost, but now I'm found. And people that don't know Jesus, they're stumbling around in the darkness. No wonder we read about the things that happen today that are horrendous. And you and I can't conceive, how could a person do that? And yet, we have the Holy Spirit living in us. That's why. How somebody harms a group of children, I have no clue how that can happen. But a person who's lost and in darkness... There's no, and a slave to sin and Satan, who knows what they might do. If you don't know Jesus, I'm telling you the truth. In fact, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you don't know Jesus, trust me, you can be religious and not know Jesus. I've been there. You can go to church and not know Jesus. I've been there. You can be baptized and not know Jesus. I've done that. You can know all the choreography of the church. That means to when to stand up, sit down, shut up, leave, all that stuff. In case you don't know what choreography is. I know all the language. I know churchanity language. I know churchanese, whatever you want to call it. But if you don't know Jesus, you don't have the truth. The good news is you can have him today. You don't have to join our church. This is just one little segment of God's kingdom. But you can know Jesus today. You ask God, first of all, you got to know you're lost. <laughs> you know, you can't be saved until you know you're lost. I'm separated from God. My sin has separated me from God. And God, I ask you to forgive me. Why would he forgive you? Because Jesus paid it all. Jesus took your sin. He lived a sinless life, took your sin, died, and conquered death by being raised again. And so when we place our faith in Jesus alone, no works, nothing else, alone, and believe in our heart we're saved. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, says that. And so if you don't know Jesus, you can know him today. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message.